0: Hello, friends, and welcome to The Living Truth Podcast. I'm your host today, Kristen Carey, and I am really eager to have this time to talk to Shannon Etheridge. Shannon, thank you so much for being on The Living Truth Podcast today.
1: Kristen is absolutely my delight. It's about time we had this conversation <laughs> together, girl. Yes, <laughs> We've been we... trying to connect for a while. <laughs>
0: yes, yes, you guys, Shannon is an international speaker. She's a certified life coach. She is the author of the best-selling Every Women's Battle series, and she has a podcast herself, which we will put links to that in our uh, description section here because you're going to want to check out her podcast. She also offers intensives for women who are struggling in areas of sexuality. So we are so excited to talk to Shannon today about what our sexual fantasies and struggles really reveal about ourselves And also more, a little bit more about what we need to to do to grow in healthy sexuality. So Shannon, my first question for you is when you consider God, how he created sex, right? And so often in the church, we, we don't talk about it. And we might think of it as like, it's all bad before you're married. And then you get married and it's supposed to be all good. And like, you're supposed to flip a switch.
1: And so with confusing. many couples, it's the opposite. They they experimented prior to marriage as their own unique way of rebelling against their parents' rules and regulations or rebelling against the spiritual standards of the religious organization they were a part of or whatever. And then they get into marriage and it loses its its challenge. It loses its luster. And then they kind of look at each other like, where did the love go? So it's it's amazing how... When we use it in ways that God didn't intend, it can be very, very destructive. But when we use it the way that God did intend, oh my goodness, this is glue that holds couples together. When I'm working with a sexually confident couple who's healed from the things in their past, who's willing to experiment, explore, play, heal together, there is such a bond there. But I know that that bond is often broken, even shattered, by by one person acting out uh, and that can be absolutely devastating to the bond that they share so it holds so much power to bond us together or it holds so much power to totally tear us apart it's really up to us and how we choose to invest our sexual energies and the kind of boundaries that we put around Mm. our sexual energies
0: Mm, that is a really good thought so um how does, when you consider the amazingness of sex and how God created that, what, how does that make you um, think about God? Like what, What? What? I, I, how does that impact your view of him?
1: I, I want to send him like flowers and candy and just be like, thank you God for giving me a clitoris and for, for making my body be able to experience multiple orgasms and like all the things about the female body. I think that the female body is the pinnacle of God's creation because the female body is capable of so much more sexually than the male body. But so many women don't know that they're not aware yeah. of that. And that's very sad because you're right, Kristen. They So many people have not ever heard these conversations in context of church. They yeah. never heard these con- these uh, conversations in context of family. And so they've learned from peers or the internet neither one have been a very reliable source of good and godly and helpful and healthy sexual information. So for a lot of people, it's, they learn by trial and error. Um, And sometimes it's a good thing. And sometimes that's not such a good thing.
0: Especially like with a lot of the people that we work with when their whole sex education came from pornography.
1: Right. Never a good source, but in the absence of positive sex education, I can totally see how so many people in our society have become so addicted to pornography because in their minds, it's like, where, where am I going to go to ask these questions? Not my spouse. They'll think that I'm weird or perverted or that I'm doing things that I'm not actually doing. I can't talk to my pastor. He probably doesn't have sex is what a lot of people assume (laughs) about pastors. And it's so not true. Uh, They're not going to go back to their parents and talk to them after they're adults. Uh, Right. Sadly, a lot of them could probably ask their teenagers and get more information than they've ever had themselves because this younger generation is just so much more sex saturated than we ever were, but I can understand how people have gravitated toward yeah. pornography as a form of sex education, but what they bargained, they get, they get so much more than they bargained for, but I don't mean in a good way. I mean, in a bad way. I mean, in just hey. going to some dark places being desensitized to so many sexual things, realizing, or maybe even not realizing, that they are now objectifying other human beings and looking at them through a very different lens than they would have before, maybe even looking at their partner through a very different lens. So it distorts your view. It's like a funhouse mirror. That is not Mm. reality. I call call pornography the fantasy factory because- Mm. I think that we all have a natural set of fantasies that we will naturally and organically develop in our lives because of our previous experiences. But when we start binging on porn, we are fueling a whole new level of fantasies that this is creating an itch that you will not know how to scratch. And so I really encourage people that the best way to learn about sexuality is through open lines of communication in your marriage, not looking online at what everybody else is doing, because those other people are not doing it in the context of a marriage and a relationship and a commitment and ongoing intimacy. That's a very different challenge.
0: It is. Um, You know, I've heard the statistic that the fastest growing group of people becoming addicted to pornography are women. And I know women are one of your main focuses in your ministry. Mm -hmm. So what do you think are distinct about women's sexual struggles from men who are struggling with sexual integrity issues?
1: I think that women, we want to see the relationship. We want to see the storyline. And so Hollywood or the, you know, the people who film pornography, they've gotten very smart about this. And so a lot of the online porn that women are digesting is wrought with all kinds of storylines and tension between the characters and all that kind of stuff. And so it's almost like this era of pornography is catering to women Uh, from the time of the Fifty Shades of Grey thing years ago up to today. I think that it has really picked up steam that porn is targeting women and we are hearing more and more women getting addicted to it. I'm shocked to how many women show up at my workshop, uh, not to heal the damage from her husband's porn addiction, which is, you know, a lot of what I expected to see. And I do see that to some degree, but I'm seeing more and more women come to deal with their own pornography addiction because it has created expectations of their husbands or themselves that are just so unrealistic, so unattainable. And now the vanilla sex that they have with their marriage partner feels boring to them in comparison to what they've been binging on. I find that incredibly unfortunate. I call it stripping your gears Mm. Uh, that you develop. uh, You can develop a pretty severe case of anhedonia, which basically means that you're no longer able to experience pleasure doing the things that you've historically done to experience pleasure. You strip those gears and now you have to have something new, something novel, something different, something dangerous, something edgy, something you've never seen before. You can imagine how that just takes a person further and further away from their mate, not further and further toward their mate. So it's very counterproductive Mm. to healthy sexuality to use porn as an educator.
0: Wow. Um, You know, one of my greatest sources of education in the last several years in this area was your book, The Fantasy Fallacy. I know it came out around 2012, Mm -hmm. um, and I probably read it around 2015 or so. It really helped me understand this concept of the arousal template Mm -hmm. and how we tend to project our psychological needs and desires onto other people. Can you talk more about that concept of the arousal Mm -hmm. template? I think it's mind-blowing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I have to say, I'm so grateful to my mentor, Jarrett Major, who was in his 80s when he shared this information with me. He just recently passed. But I have to say that it was his investment into my coaching practice that really helped me be motivated to research this more and learn more about it. His expression to our small group over and over was, you better learn to face your fantasies or else they're going to bite you on the butt when you're trying to run away from them. And so uh, the concept that people think that their fantasies are the source of future fulfillment, if they think about it and it arouses them, they assume that that's what they need to go and find or recreate and that that's going to be some sort of magical elixir to their sexual soul, nothing could be further from the truth. It was Jarrett who taught me that sexual fantasies are not a roadmap to future fulfillment. They're a roadmap of your rocky past.
0: That Mm. in fact,
1: if you make a list of all of your greatest traumas, trials, tragedies, disillusionments, disappointments in life, and then also made a separate list of your most unconventional fantasies, the ones that you've never had the courage to tell your pet pa- your pastor, your parents, your your spouse, no one that like that's that's just something that you would never want exposed about you. If you held those two lists together, they would be mirror images of one another for a very valid reason, because the purpose of, of God wiring our brain such that we could arouse our bodies by simply entertaining sexy thoughts in our head. This is what triggers the pituitary gland. This is what sends the blood flow to the penis or the clitoris. It's a necessary step in the arousal process. You can't have a successful sexual experience without that blood flow. It would be either very difficult or very painful. Uh, And so the concept of, of sexual fantasies actually help us trigger that pituitary gland to release that blood flow to help us have a successful sexual experience with our spouse, that's a vital part of the sexual experience. But the the thing is, is that the storyline that we create in our head that will trigger the pituitary gland has to be the antithesis of the pain, the trauma, the trials, the tragedies that we've experienced, because the job of fantasy is to compartmentalize pain long enough to make room for pleasure.
0: Oh my gosh. Wait, I I need to repeat that. The job (laughs) of fantasy or the
1: the purpose purpose of fantasy, sexual fantasies. The reason that God wired our brains this way is so that we could trigger the pituitary gland by entertaining thoughts that could be arousing to us. And most often those thoughts are going to be the mirror image of our greatest traumas and tragedies, because the job of sexual fantasy is to compartmentalize pain long enough to make room for pleasure. Let me illustrate the point, Kristen. Wow. Do you think that it is possible for you to have an orgasm while hitting your thumb with a hammer totally simultaneously?
0: No, absolutely not.
1: It's like sneezing (laughs) with your eyes open, right? It's not going to happen. So the same is true with emotional pain. Yeah. We cannot enter into that state of reckless abandon, lowered inhibition, heightened arousal, intensified blood flow, oxytocin flowing between you and your spouse, the the exuberance, the euphoria. We can't experience that while focused on the things in our life that has overwhelmed us, that have traumatized us, that have weighed us down all these years. And so the storyline of a person's fantasies that work for them, quote unquote, that work for them is... Is the opposite of their traumas and tragedies. There was um, one particular woman who she really struggled with wanting to have sex with her husband at all, and it wasn't because he was acting out. It wasn't because he was porn addicted. She just she thought she didn't like sex. She felt she the words that she was able to put to it is she, she felt overwhelmed and small and intimidated and overpowered, and turns out. When I asked her about her sexual history, there was none prior to her marriage, but she did recall that when she was 11 was when her dad's brother would sometimes come into her room and get on top of her. And that created the sensation of, he's so much bigger than me. He's overpowering me. She felt powerless. So basically when her husband was attempting to make love with her, it was triggering all those old feelings.
0: All her sexual trauma.
1: Yes, So we had to sift and sort and separate what was trauma and what is attempts at intimacy within her marriage. And the thing that I challenged her with is that, you know what, you need to recreate the scenario, but win this time. Mm. So if being on your back underneath your husband, feeling overpowered and powerless is so emotionally triggering for you, turn that around, maybe try being the one who initiates being the one who is on top, being the one who's in control. She shocked herself at how much she learned to enjoy sex with her husband when she just changed up the dynamic to where it wasn't so emotionally triggering because of her past trauma. And in fact, it made her feel empowered. It made her blossom. It made her come alive. So yeah, I got flowers and cards and candy from that husband. (laughs) (laughs) Like It's amazing when people are just willing to press the pause button. Oh, and incidentally the type of fantasy and romance novels that she gravitated toward were those in which they're called corset busters, those in which a woman was actually raped. And it's so unfortunate that this has become such a common theme. Uh, I I think that I read like 67% of romance novels have some sort of forced sex seen woven into the plot because the writers know that so oftentimes this scenario appeals to women it's why the 50 shades of gray phenomenon was such a huge thing in our culture because the concept of it being um forced on you or that you signed up for it not knowing what you were getting yourself into then that means that you're not a bad girl because you know in our families of origin it was good girls don't good girls don't Well, if this happened where it was forced on her, she's not a bad girl, she's a victim. So if she enjoys it, it's not her fault. It's like we've had to disconnect ourselves entirely from taking ownership of the fact that we're sexual beings as women. And we have every right to experience sexual pleasure and we don't need to fantasize about being raped or other things in order to create that sexual energy for ourselves. But you can see how, based on a person's past trauma, their fantasy template may scare them. They may fantasize about things that they would never in a million years really want in real life. No woman really wants to be overpowered or to be raped. Uh, I could go on and on with different scenarios. But don't be afraid of just harnessing the energy that the thought creates Mm -hmm. if that's what you need in order to feel that energy. Because to rob yourself and your spouse of that energy altogether because you think that the thought itself is a, entirely a sin and might send you to hell, that is way over spiritualizing, way over analyzing, and looking at things through a very legalistic lens. Yeah. God wired our brains this way for a very good reason. And when mm. people want to know what is the reason, why would God wire our brains in such a way that we would need to think about something else in order to feel safe and secure and to connect with our mate? I liken it to when a child is sexually abused, where does their brain go?
0: They They go offline. Yeah, they they can't handle it. They they shut down.
1: Exactly. They cannot handle it. So I'm so grateful that God wired our brains that we can go somewhere else. It's not always as an escape. Sometimes it's go somewhere else to borrow the courage or the control or the confidence or the power to show back up in that scenario with the tools that we need to relax, engage, and enjoy. Does that make Mm, sense?
0: It does. Oh my gosh, that's so powerful. So how, so this example that you gave of this woman, like, is that the kind of thing you think most people who have had sexual trauma would need to see a therapist or a coach like yourself to work through?
1: I think that it really helps to connect with someone who isn't in the thick of it, you know, talking to your mom or your sister, you know, about what happened in your own home, that, that often goes south. That's often not a very helpful or healing conversation, but to talk to someone who knows more about trauma and the impact on the brain and especially the impact on our sexual template, I highly recommend that. And that's one of the things that we do over this four-day Women at the Well workshop is we we have women make a list of their 20 most pivotal moments in their lives, the highs and the lows, and to look at that from an aerial view and to recognize all the ways that they had lost their power, lost their voice, lost their control. And then what fantasies would actually help them regain that power and that confidence and that control such that they can show up as adult women. Cause here's the thing. If we're showing up in our marriage bed, as hurting, traumatized, sexually abused little girls, or even if it's not sexual abuse, sometimes it's just the trauma of, of a, an emotionally abusive father or a verbally ab- abusive brother or whatever the case may be. Any trauma in our past, it, it influences our ability to engage in an intimate relationship because fear holds us back. That wall of fear goes up and we build it really, really high. And sometimes the best way to tear that wall down is to dissect it brick by brick and really look at what have you experienced in your life. And I liken it to a fiction novel that if you were to pick, I'm 52 years old. If someone were to pick up a novel about my life and go straight to chapter 52, they're not gonna have a clue what's going on. But if they rewind to chapter one and look at what I've experienced throughout my life. What I'm, ha- what I'm experiencing at age 52 will make total sense. So I help people rewind the tape of their life, look at it from a whole perspective, from an aerial view perspective, and then the tension that they're feeling, the fear that they experience, the anxiety that they have about their bodies or sexual experiences makes total sense to them. Then they can create their own plot twist to help the character get what they want and what they need. And I know that most women and men believe in their heads that they deserve to be sexually confident beings who have their needs met and who are bonded and connected to their mate, but they don't know how to create that plot twist for themselves. They don't know how to get to where they want to be from where they are, and they they let fear hold them back. They self-sabotage and just assume that that fear means that they should just not go there at all, when in reality, again, the best way to to, to manage your fear is that you have to learn to face it or else it's going to bite you on the butt while you're trying to run away.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. That's amazing how you help women face that and through your intensives and your one-on-one work. Um, I, I just think that a lot of times when we have people come to us in a crisis where their whole world is blown up because of their sexual secrets, they have never told anyone these traumas and these things that have happened to them.
1: They've never made the connection.
0: Right. Yeah, that that is so true. It's really a sacred space to be there for them in that, isn't
1: it? Sometimes I want to take off my shoes because I feel like, okay, Uh holy ground. ground ground When they say, I've never told anyone this dot, Mm dot, dot, and they're about to share it with me, I feel so (laughs) fortunate and trusted. And one of the things that we started doing here just in the past year is my husband and I started doing couples at the well workshops where husbands and wives come together and they look at their own lives individually, but then they also look at their life as a couple and they identify the the traumas, the trials, the tragedies that have held them back in the bedroom. And they're able to create their plot twist in their marriage relationship and they catch a vision for what is possible. And they leave here with so much hope when they walked in the door, absolutely hopeless. Like they will say this was our last ditch effort before divorce. But then all of a sudden they leave with a total vision of we can help each other heal and we can become each other's dream lover and we can have our needs met without ever having to go through the trauma of divorce and remarriage and all that stuff that doesn't Mm -hmm. always go the way you want it to in life.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. So When someone, Shannon, when someone has had struggles with unwanted sexual fantasies, what advice do you give them to retrain their brain during intimate encounters with their spouse? You kind of got into that a little bit more, a little bit before, but I'd love to hear more about how you do that.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, know that just because a particular thought or fantasy creates energy in you that you can then share with your spouse. It doesn't mean that in the act of intimacy that you need to close your eyes and check out. In fact, that's the opposite of intimacy. If I were to tell you, Kristen, I really need to have a heart to heart with you, but I'm going to turn my back towards you and not let you look at me in the eye while we're having this conversation, it wouldn't feel very intimate to you, right? Right. And so if you're really going to engage in intimacy, leaving your eyes open, communicating during the act of making love, finding your voice, being affirming, letting your partner know what you're enjoying, letting your partner know what you might enjoy doing for them, this, yeah, this is intimacy. But if there's a particular fantasy that arouses you, but it troubles you because of the nature of it, you can always do substitutions. Because again, the fantasy is about a dynamic, a plot. It's not about a person. So, for example, one woman told me that she's always had a fantasy about a much older man. She was projecting that fantasy onto her pastor. She was a worship leader at her church. Uh, She was often alone in meetings with her pastor. She was concerned that she might lower her guard and do something stupid. And so obviously this was a fantasy that was troubling to her and rightfully so. So I challenged her to consider where this fantasy really comes from. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that she did not have a very close relationship with her dad. In fact, her dad wasn't Mm. around her whole life. And this pastor was like 20 years older than her. So she was projecting this fantasy onto him, but it wasn't about him. It was about her craving for a father figure type of person. So maybe just envision that you're a student in a college classroom and your husband is the professor behind the podium. Like You you can substitute your mate into this role, but the idea is you're still creating that energy of an older man finds me alluring and attractive and that that's kind of what gets your juices going. So again, that's based on your trauma. There's no shame in that, but don't project it onto a person that actually exists because that's when I believe it does cross the line and rehearses for all kinds of bad behavior. What I often ask people is that if you were to walk into a living room and you found your teenage son projecting a pornographic movie onto a screen, would you get angry at the screen? No. Wouldn't make any sense, would it? Would you get angry at the projector itself? No. No. You would get upset with your son because he's the one choosing what's being projected onto that screen. Right. So the, the pastor in that scenario, he's just the screen. The fantasy is the projector, but the woman, she's the one who has to take responsibility for what am I doing with this fantasy that I need to create sexual energy in my body? Am I projecting it onto someone that I have no right having sexual fantasies about? Or am I able to substitute my husband into the dynamic such that not only am I able to use the fantasy to create sexual energy for my marriage bed, my husband's now actually part of the fantasy. Right. Can you see how that totally lifts the guilt and the fear and the anxiety off of her so that she can enjoy the energy that she's creating?
0: Right. I love it. Okay, here's a really tricky question, Shannon. What about the single woman that's having those thoughts and desires? Oh, this is the hard one. <laughs> As I mentioned when we before we were recording, we used your Every Young Woman's Battle mm-hmm. book to do a small group uh, study for teenage girls at our church, and um, it was really great. Yeah. So I know you have a heart for younger women and I women who hope- not married. <laughs> what do you tell yep. them to do?
1: Yep. I was a youth pastor for many years, so that's how I started, was just being passionate about educating teenagers and college students about their sexuality So my suggestion to a woman is first and foremost, and I know that this is going to sound like it's leaning to the left, but I promise I'm going to correct it by leaning to the right in just a moment because I believe in a balanced approach. I think that female sexuality is like a pendulum swing. Sometimes we swing too far to the left. We act out. We project fantasies onto a particular person. We go out of our way to try to be alone with someone we have no business having an intimate relationship with. We have affairs, et cetera, et cetera. Other times in our life, we swing too far to the right. We shut down. We have lose that love and feeling. We don't know where to find it. And we start thinking, I don't care if I ever have sex in this marriage again. He just needs to turn his knob way down to match mine. And it's like either extreme is unhealthy. So I always try to take a balanced approach. So what I want to say to the single woman who is having thoughts about what sex is going to be like when she has a mate, when she has a husband, when she has that freedom there is no sin in that. I think that that's the same as asking a kid when they're three years old, What do you want to be when you grow up? To think about what marriage is going to be like for you, there is no shame and no sin in that. But when you start projecting your fantasies onto individuals that aren't available, individuals that really aren't good for you. So, you know, for a Christian it would be somebody who's a non-Christian or a lot of students do admit to me that they develop huge crushes on that they develop huge crushes on their on their professor or a lot of church people will say it's my it's my pastor or my associate pastor. We always project those kind of fantasies onto that older authority figure, that father figure type of image. So, I would say that when you start projecting it onto an actual person, instead of just thinking about what it's going to be like when you have your own husband someday, that's when you're crossing a line. Do not project this onto an individual. Also, when you first start dating a guy, don't assume that he's the one because you have months, if not years, of information to gather before you reach that conclusion. And when you start projecting those fantasies onto him way too fast, what you do is you start focusing on how much sexual energy he creates in you And you start ignoring the red flags that you would, that you would recognize if you weren't obsessing sexually over him already.
0: Wow. And you're, if you're masturbating to those fantasies, you're creating a ton of oxytocin. So you're bonding to that person.
1: You're reinforcing
0: way quick. And then, yeah, like you said, you won't see the red flags. And when you break up, it's that much more painful because of all that bonding that happened.
1: Yes. And so projecting them onto an actual person that you're not married to, I would say that that's when you're starting to get on a slippery slope, connect with a counselor or coach or someone that you deeply trust and just be honest about your feelings. It's okay to want to have sex. It's okay to want to have a a husband, but you do it in the right order so that you don't, Screw things up and strip your gears like so many people do by getting sexually intimate way too fast prior to to being ready to be married.
0: Right. That is not easy.
1: No. As somebody who I I didn't get married till
0: I was 28 the first time, that is not easy to wait on. I just want to, any listener who's listening and is single, I get it. It is hard to wait.
1: It is. And I will say that 90% of Christians don't. And one of the things that often erodes a woman's sexual self-esteem and, and confidence is the guilt, thinking that God will never bless their marriage. Now that she had sex prior to the altar, I want you to stop characterizing God as this mean, punitive, uh, you know, taskmaster God wired us sexually. He understands our thoughts, our feelings, our fantasies, our temptations. He understands our weaknesses and where we fall short. But I just think that after you get married, it is time to get some counseling to learn to let that go because to let premarital sex weigh you down after you're married. In fact, I spoke to one woman twice, uh, one week apart, And she broke down and cried the first time that she told me that 30 years ago, they had had sex before marriage. But then she broke down and cried about it again the second time. And it was like, this is really a deep source of shame for you, isn't it? So now we're unpacking. All those legalistic, shame-filled messages that she got in the church and in her family of origin, the lies that she had to tell because she couldn't be honest with her parents because she didn't want to be ousted from the tribe and cause her family shame. And those are deep-seated issues in a woman's mind and heart. And that's the very kind of trauma that often you have to create some sort of fantasy that turns it on its head and you recreate a scenario in order to win this time type of thing. So unpacking those types of things with a counselor or female pastor that can help you empathize with yourself and give yourself the same grace and mercy and forgiveness and unconditional love that God gives us is a vital step in your journey. There is Mm. no reason to drag around guilt and shame years later. You have been forgiven, accept it. It's a free gift. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You've already been given that gift of forgiveness. Mm.
0: The enemy loves to like shackle us with all that shame and guilt so that we don't, live out the freedom that God has given us. And instead, we just tune into the past and and keep constantly like weighed down by it. And so then we are like not free to live and to be the people he created us to be and to listen to his voice and to lean into his presence in, in the present day.
1: False guilt is Satan's number one strategy. And I heard it said this way, Bess, I've repeated it so many times in my life. Satan's favorite strategy is to make single women think that they can't live without sex and to make married women think that they can. (laughs) It's so true. It is exactly Satan's favorite strategy. I I have worked in this field long enough to know that I can declare that I can stake my life on that. Sexuality is Satan's favorite area to use. We see him distort sexuality seven different ways, just in the book of Genesis alone Wow. And yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's it, it's our it's the chink in our armor. It, it's it's our humanness. It's the part that we can't divorce ourselves from. There's no flipping a switch and turning off our sexuality. This is woven into the fibers of our being. So if Satan can't get us spiritually, he'll try to get us sexually.
0: Wow. Gary, Do you think that's why the percentage of like Christians that are struggling with major sexual addiction type issues, the the percentage is about equal Christian, non-Christian?
1: Actually, I suspect that there may be more Christians struggling in this arena because I have a friend who manages a, a huge hotel chain. And he said that they love it when Christian conventions come into town, because that is when their porn sales in the hotel rooms go out the roof, because there's this concept of while the cat's away, then I can play, you know, like my spouse isn't here with me to hold me accountable. Nobody will know what I'm watching in the privacy of my own private hotel room. And that it's the Christian conventions where the porn usage goes out the roof, whereas other conventions... It's not nearly as marked of an increase. I find that incredibly interesting and unfortunate, very sad. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, I just want to say that that pendulum swing that I talked about, too far to the left, too far to the right, the Bible says, avoid all extremes. Envision that as a clock, Kristen. Envision that as swinging too far to the left is like nine o'clock and swinging way too far to the right is like three o'clock. I really want to encourage both men and women to find a healthy middle ground where they gravitate maybe between 5.30 and 6.30. But what that looks like is that they let sexual energies flow in their body because God designed us as sexual beings. It's healthy, it's holy, it's good for mind, body, heart, and spirit. It's great for our relationships, our mood, our oxytocin, our sleep. There's like 250 benefits to healthy sexuality. So embrace that, but only channel it toward your spouse, not porn, not affairs, not fantasies projected onto somebody that you have no business fantasizing about. Try your absolute best to channel all that energy toward your spouse and you're gonna be a-okay. And if you're having a really hard time doing that very thing, I hope that you will connect with me in a one-on-one coaching session or attend an individual workshop or a couples workshop because you've got to get to the root of that. And once you understand the root of it, it loses its power over you. Yeah. When you bring it into the light, that's resolved sin right there. It doesn't mean that you'll never struggle with it. It just means that you gain control over it when you bring it into the light and you don't have to harbor it as a secret because we're only as sick as our secrets. We know Mm. that from our recovery meetings, don't we?
0: That's true. Oh my gosh, Shannon, this is all so helpful. I think our listeners are just gonna love to listen to... What you have to say about our arousal templates, about um, the healthy sexuality, about I even just love and am going to want to ponder myself the concept of letting the sexual energy flow. Because I think the further we get in marriage and having kids and being busy in careers, we and, and, and the more accustomed we get to sex in marriage. The, at least for women i think it's easier to just kind of put that push that to the side and just think about it when it's date night or when you if you're scheduling it you know like on that day but um
1: gosh i mean it needs to be more organic than that it needs to be yeah. woven into our everyday existence uh two other things i want to share with you really quickly Our brain is comprised of four pleasure centers, four things that we gravitate toward over and over again for the sake of survival and satisfaction. And this is God's idea, not ours. It's food, water, sleep and sex. We never feel guilty when we haven't eaten all day and we get hunger pains. We never feel guilty when we forgot our water bottle and our mouth is so dry and we're just desperate to find a bottle of water. We never feel guilty for being cranky crabby because we were up all night with a crying baby and we know we just need to sleep. Why do we feel guilty for being horny? We can be holy and horny at the same time. <laughs> it, 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 it's it's part of how we are wired. You just can't, just like you can't shut off your hunger or your thirst or your sleep cycle. Sexual desire is a recurring cycle in the human being. And yeah, there are some people who've committed to a life of celibacy and more power to them. But if you're married, you're not one of those people and, and you need to get more comfortable with the fact that you do not have to feel guilt or shame when you feel sexual arousal. And some people I acknowledge, I know that Kristen, a big part of your audience is people who have been acting out recently and the spouses who are severely traumatized by yeah. the betrayal that that creates. So let me just add one thing that I hope will help them understand why I focus on healthy sexuality, not just sexual integrity, but also sexual intimacy, because there needs to be a balance between, and I mean, you can have integrity and intimacy both. I'm not saying you have to choose one or the other, but what I'm saying is, is that when you focus on the right thing, the wrong thing loses its grip on you. Um, And one of the quotes that I love best is Mother Teresa was contacted by an organization inviting her to be a part of their anti-war rally. And she said, no, thank you. But when you decide to have a pro peace rally, let me know and I'll be there. In other words, when you focus on the positive, there is energy there. And so it's not enough to say you can't look at porn. You can't act out. I can't look at porn. I can't act out like, okay, okay. Good, have boundaries and heal from the lack of integrity, heal from the betrayal, but don't get stuck in just what we can't enjoy. Please, at some point, and it may not be right now, and that's okay, but at some point down the road, I encourage you to move beyond the betrayal and start working on building the intimacy so that you can focus on the good instead of so much focus on the bad, because that's the equivalent of showing up for a pro-peace rally. Eventually, Mm. the battle won't feel so fierce, whether it's every man's battle or every woman's battle. Eventually, the battlefield will settle down. and that's, that's when you need to really strengthen, focus on strengthening your, the quality of your intimacy, strengthen your marriage relationship.
0: Yes. So for our listeners who are kind of in advanced stages of recovery, and the early days of betrayal, uh, the dust has settled, and you've gone through perhaps a full therapeutic disclosure and a polygraph and you've had a good six months to a year to start to rebuild. Um, I would highly recommend Shannon's uh, podcast, which is called Sexual Confidence on Tap. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. In terms of building healthy sexuality. Well, Shannon, it has been such a privilege to have this conversation with you. It was well worth the wait. I'm so glad (laughs) that you joined our podcast today and I hope we can do this again sometime.
1: Thank you for the opportunity, Kristen. I hope that it has been a blessing to your listeners. It has certainly been a blessing to me to get to share my passion with your audience. So thank you for having me on.
0: Awesome. Thank you.